0: iPhone. Today, today, Apple is going to reinvent the phone. Hey, it's Swix, and on weekends, I usually republish some talk or conversation that I've had in case people want to catch up on it. Obviously, feel free to delete it if it's too long for you or if you've heard stuff like this before, Uh, but it's just for people who want to keep up with me to figure out what I'm up to. Um, And I do tend to repeat myself sometimes, but I always try to add something new every time I visit a topic. But today, we're not doing that. Today we're doing something special. I published a big blog post I worked on for something like a month, um, and then uh, obviously hits marking a little bit of a turning point in my life. So this is the audio version of the essay that I published on Monday called Temporal, the iPhone of System Design. It's about my new job. It's about 20 minutes-ish, but I'm actually probably going to take longer than that because I'm going to read it out and pause to talk about anything that comes to mind that I might want to elaborate. So here it is, Temporal, the iPhone of system design. I'm excited to finally share why I've joined Temporal.io as head of developer experience. It's taken me months to precisely pin down why I've been obsessed with workflows in general and Temporal in particular. It boils down to three core opinions orchestration, event sourcing, and workflows as code. The target audience for this post is product-focused developers who have some understanding of system design, but limited distributed systems experience and no familiarity with workflow engines. The 30-second pitch. The most valuable mission-critical workloads in any software company are long-running and tie together multiple services. The first assertion that comes out of that. Because this work relies on unreliable networks and systems, you want to standardize timeouts and retries, and you want to offer reliability on Rails to every team. Second assertion, because this work is so important, you must never drop any work, and you must log all progress. Third assertion, because this work is complex, you want to easily model dynamic asynchronous logic and reuse, test, version, and migrate it. Finally, you want all this to scale the same programming model going from small use cases to millions of users without re-platforming. Temporal is the best way to do all this by writing idiomatic code known as workflows. Requirement number one, orchestration. Suppose you're executing some business logic that calls system A, then system B, then system C. Easy enough, right? Have system A call B, B call C. But system B, has rate limiting, so sometimes it fails right away, and you're just expected to try again sometime later. System C goes down a lot, and when it does, it doesn't actively report a failure. Your program is perfectly happy to wait an infinite amount of time and never retry C. You could deal with B just by looping until you get a successful response, but that ties up compute resources. Probably the better way is to persist the incomplete task in a database and set a cron job to periodically retry the call. Dealing with C is similar, but with a twist. You still need B's code to retry the API call, but you also need another shorter-lived and independent scheduler to place a reasonable timeout on C's execution time so it doesn't report failures when it goes down. That was me basically explaining why you need retries and timeouts. For some people, it's obvious. Some people have just literally never thought about it. Um, So I want to make clear that for production, (laughs) you probably want to... Uh, harden the, these calls by adding some kind of persistence. And that persistence has to be asynchronous. And to make it asynchronous, you then need a scheduler. All right, back to reading. So here I have a diagram of how each system now at the end of their, anytime they you know call to the next system or pass data to the next system, uh, they now need this persistence layer or this retry and timeout layer. And each system is hand configuring their own. So do this often enough, and soon you realize that writing timeouts and retries are really standard production-grade requirements when crossing any system boundary. Whether you're calling an external API or just a different service owned by your own team. Instead of writing custom code for timeouts and retries for every single service every time, is there a better way? Sure, we could centralize it. And here I have a diagram centralizing all that boilerplate. We have just rediscovered the need for orchestration over choreography. There are various names for the combined ABC system orchestration that we are doing. Depending who you ask, this is either called a job runner, a pipeline, or a workflow. Honestly, what interests me more than the deduplication of code is the deduplication of infrastructure. The maintainer of each system no longer has to provision the additional infrastructure needed for this stateful and potentially long-running work. This drastically simplifies maintenance. You can shrink your systems down to as small as a single serverless function. It makes it easier to spin up new ones with the retry and timeout standards you now expect from every production grade service in your system. Workflow orchestrators are reliability on Rails. That's my, there's a side commentary here. Uh, that's my way of positioning Temporal as not Intrinsically tied to serverless or microservices, uh, serverless functions are essentially nanoservices. You'd, the, the point is not about the size of your service, it's about crossing system boundaries. And that's what I wanted to make very clear. Um, and everyone has this problem. All right. But there's a risk, of course. You've just added centralized dependency to every part of your distributed system. What if it also goes down? Requirement number two, event sourcing. The work that your code does is mission critical. What does that really mean? 1. We cannot drop anything. All requests to start work must either result in error or success. No, eh, it was supposed to be running, but just got lost somewhere. Mismatch in expectations. 2. During execution, we must be able to resume from any downtime. If any part of the system goes down, we must be able to pick up where we left off. 3. We need the entire history of what happened when for legal compliance in case something went wrong, or if we want to analyze metadata across runs. There are two ways to track all this state. The usual way starts with a simple task queue and then adds logging. Here I have a code sample that shows how these things are normally developed, which is you have a queue of work, and then you log that you're starting the work, you try to do the work, if the work fails, you log that you're reverting the work, and then you push the work back onto the queue. And if the log, if the work succeeds, then you log that you've done the queue, and then you start the cycle again. But logging as afterthought has a bunch of problems. One, the logging is not tightly paired with the queue updates. If it is possible for one to succeed but the other to fail, you have either unreliable logs or dropped work, unacceptable for mission-critical work. This could also happen if the central work loop itself goes down while tasks are executing. Two, at the local level, you can fix this with batch transactions. Between systems, you can create two-phase commits. But this is a messy business and further bloats your business code with a ton of boilerplate. If, a big if, you have the discipline to instrument every single state change in your code. The alternative to logs as afterthought is logs as truth. If it wasn't logged, it didn't happen. This is also known as event sourcing. We can always reconstruct current state from an ever-growing list of event history. Here I have a separate code sample that kind of shows how what it means, but I'm definitely sweeping a lot, a lot under the rug. Uh, it has a work loop where you reconcile event history with a work state machine. It gets that next task from the reconciliation process. And then you do the next task and also commit it to an event history with transactional guarantees, and then you set the timeout for the next loop again. So if anyone has seen my talks on React Suspense, uh, this is very similar to React's work loop and the React Reconciler. All right, carrying on with the essay. The next task is strictly determined by comparing the event history to a state machine provided by the application developer. Work is either done and committed to history or not at all I've hand-waved away a lot of heavy lifting done by the code that I showed in that code sample, but this solves a lot of problems. One, our logs are always reliable since that is the only way we determine what to do next. Two, we use transactional guarantees to ensure that work is either done and tracked or not at all. There is no limbo state. At the worst case, we'd rather retry already done work with idempotency keys than drop work. 3. Since there is no implicit state in the work loop, it can be restarted easily on any downtime or scaled horizontally for high load. 4. Finally, with standardized logs in our event history, we can share observability and debugging tooling between users. You can also make an analogy to the difference between file name version control and Git. Using event histories as your source of truth is comparable to a Git repo that reflects all Git commits to date. This is Sean again, just reflecting on this part of the essay. I'm basically trying to make the comparison that you want your business logic or your workflow state machine to be as reliable as Git. And because people have a lot of trust in Git, I think that analogy flies, but it's obviously not a very one-to-one analogy because Git is very static and, and what we're doing by its very nature has side effects. And so we have a bit more concerns than Git does. There was a lot of debate internally about whether or not to pin ourselves so closely to event sourcing. Some people who know event sourcing get it immediately. Others introduce an extra burden with regards to having to learn what event sourcing is and then having to learn us and having to learn the differences between some applications of event sourcing where to roll back anything, you have to reapply uh, the logic and actually run the functions. And our Version, which is where we just track event histories and statically restore the state of the call stack anytime you have replays. Uh, but I don't think that's strictly necessary, at least for the level that we're targeting here. So I just didn't do it. Um, all right, back to the essay. There's one last problem to deal with. How exactly should the developer specify the full state machine? Requirement number three workflows as code. The prototypical workflow state machine is a JSON or YAML file listing a sequence of steps, but this abuses configuration formats for expressing code. It doesn't take long before you start adding features like conditional branching, loops, and variables until you have an underspecified Turing-Complete domain specific language hiding out in your JSON and YAML schema. And here I have a code sample, a real code sample from Google, uh, the Google Workflows product. It's pretty funny because when I initially showed this to someone who was proofreading, he assumed that it was just like a fake example. And he was like, he was just shocked to find out that this was real sample code from Google. Anyway, back to the essay. This example happens to be from Google, but you can compare similar config-driven syntaxes from Argo, Amazon, and Airflow. The bottom line is you ultimately find yourself handwriting the abstract syntax tree of something you can read much better in code anyway. And here I have a different sample code with the exact same code that I expressed above in JavaScript. And obviously JavaScript is a lot more readable for people who know JavaScript. But the point being that things are a lot more concise. And whatever you come up with in JSON or YAML, you can represent in code anyway. And code is more familiar and has existing tooling. All right, back to the essay. The benefit of using general purpose programming languages to define workflows, or workflows as code, is that you get to the full set of tooling that is already available to you as a developer, from IDE autocomplete, to linting, to syntax highlighting, to version control, to ecosystem libraries, and test frameworks. But perhaps the biggest benefit of all is the reduced need for context switching from your application language to the workflow language so much so that you could copy over code and get reliability guarantees with only minor modifications. This config versus code debate arises in multiple domains. You may have encountered this problem in AWS provisioning, where it's CloudFormation versus CDK or Pulumi, or CICD, debugging giant YAML files for your builds. This is actually something that our customers have complained about. (laughs) Um, Since you can always write code to interpret any declarative JSON or YAML DSL, The code layer offers a superset of capabilities. (laughs) Okay, now we're about to recap the past three points. The challenge of DIY solutions. So for our mission-critical, long-running work, we've identified three requirements. One, we want an orchestration engine between services. Two, we want to use event sourcing to track and resume system state. Three, we want to write all of this with code rather than with config languages. Respectively, these solve the pain points of reliability boilerplate, implementing observability and recoverability, recoverability, and modeling arbitrary business logic. If you were to build this on your own, one, you can find an orchestration engine off the shelf, though few have a strong open source backing, Two, you'll likely start with a logs as afterthought system and accumulating inconsistencies over time until they are critical enough to warrant a rewrite to a homegrown event sourcing framework with stronger guarantees. Three, as you generalize your system for more use cases, you might start off using a JSON or YAML config language because that is easy to parse. If it were entrenched and large enough, you might create an as-code layer, just as AWS did with AWS CDK, causing an impedance mismatch until you rip out the underlying declarative layer. Finally, you'd have to make your system scale for many users, which is horizontal scaling, load balancing, queuing, and routing, and many developers, which is workload isolation, authentication, authorization, testing, and code reuse. Temporal as the iPhone solution When Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone in 2007, he introduced it as a widescreen iPod with touch controls, a revolutionary mobile phone, and a breakthrough internet communications device, before stunning the audience. These are not three separate devices. This is one device. This is the potential of Temporal. Temporal has opinions on how to make each piece best in class but the tight integration creates a programming paradigm that is ultimately greater than the sum of its parts. One, you can build a UI that natively understands workflows as potentially infinitely long-running business logic, exposing retry status, event history, and code input and output. Two, you can build workflow migration tooling that verifies that old but still running workflows have been fully accounted for when migrating to new code. Three, You can add pluggable persistence so that you are agnostic to what databases or even what cloud you use, helping you be cloud agnostic. Four, you can run polyglot teams. Each team can work in their ideal language and only care about serializable inputs and outputs when calling each other since event history is language agnostic. There are more possibilities I can't talk about yet. The business case for Temporal. A fun anecdote about how I got the job, through blogging. While exploring the serverless ecosystem at Netlify and AWS, I always had the nagging feeling that it was incomplete and that the most valuable work was always left as an exercise to the reader. The feeling crystallized when I rewatched DHH's 2005 Ruby on Rails demo and realized there was no way the serverless ecosystem could match up to it. We broke up the monolith to scale it, but there were just too many pieces missing. I started analyzing cloud computing from a jobs-to-be-done framework and wrote two throwaway blog posts called Cloud Operating Systems and Reconstituting the Monolith. My ignorant posting led to an extended comment from a total internet stranger telling me all the ways I was wrong. Lenny Press, who was also reading my blog post, saw this comment, and got Ryland to join Temporal as head of product, and he then turned around and pitched, literally pitched, me to join. One blog post, two jobs. Learn in public continues to amaze me by the luck it creates. Still, why would I quit a comfy, well-paying job at Amazon to work harder for less money at a startup like this? 1. Extraordinary people At its core, betting on any startup is betting on the people. The two co-founders of Temporal have been working on variants of this problem for over a decade each at AWS, Microsoft, and Uber. They have attracted an extremely high-caliber team around them with centuries of distributed systems experience. I report to the head of product, who is one of the fastest scaling executives Sequoia has ever seen. Two, extraordinary adoption. Because it reinvents service orchestration, Temporal and its predecessor, Cadence, is very horizontal by nature. Descript uses it for audio transcription. Snap uses it for ads reporting. HashiCorp uses it for infrastructure provisioning. Stripe uses it for the workflow engine behind Stripe Capital and Stripe Billing. Coinbase uses it for cryptocurrency transactions. Box uses it for file transfer. Datadog uses it for CICD. DoorDash uses it for delivery creation, and Checker uses it for background checks. Within each company, growth is viral. Once one team sees successful adoption, dozens more follow suit within a year, all through word of mouth. Three, extraordinary results. After migrating, temporal users report production issues falling from once a week to near zero. Accidental double spins have been discovered and fixed, saving millions in cold, hard cash. Teams report being able to move faster Thanks to testing, code reuse, and standardized reliability. While the, the value of this is hard to quantify, it is big enough that users organically tell their friends and list Temporal in their job openings. Four huge potential market growth. The main thing you bet on when it comes to Temporal is that its primary competition really is homegrown workflow systems, not other engines like Airflow, AWS Step Functions, or Camunda BPMN. In other words, even though Temporal should gain market share, the real story is market growth, driven by the growing microservices movement and developer education around best-in-class orchestration. At AWS and Netlify, I always felt like there was a missing capability in building serverless-first apps, duct-taping functions and cron jobs and databases to do the asynchronous work. And it all fell into place the moment I saw Temporal. I'm betting that there are many, many people like me and that I can help Temporal reach them. Five, high potential value capture. Apart from market share and market growth, any open source project has the additional challenge of value capture, since users can self-host at any time. I mostly subscribe to David Julevich's take that open source SaaS is basically outsourcing ops. I haven't talked about Temporal's underlying architecture, but it has quite a few moving parts and takes a lot of skill and system understanding to operate. For reasons I won't get into, Temporal scales best on Cassandra, and that alone is enough to make most want to pay someone else to handle it. 6. Great expansion opportunities Temporal is by nature the most direct source of truth on the most valuable, mission-critical workflows of any company that adopts it. It can therefore develop the most mission-critical dashboard and control panel. Any source of truth also becomes a natural aggregation point for integrations, leaving open the possibility of an internal or third-party service marketplace. With the signals and queries features, Temporal easily gets data in and out of running workflows, making it an ideal foundation for the sort of human-in-the-loop work for the API economy. Imagine toggling just one line of code to A-B test vendors and APIs, or have Temporal learn while a domain expert manually executes decision processes and takes over when he has seen enough. As a high-code specialist in reliable workflows, it could be a neutral arms dealer in the low-code gold rush or choose to get into that game itself. If you want to get really wild, the secure distributed execution model of workflow workers could be facilitated by an ERC-20 token. To be clear, everything I've listed here is personal speculation and not the company roadmap. There is much work to do, though. Temporal Cloud needs a lot of automation and scaling before it becomes generally available. Temporal's UI is in the process of a full rewrite to Svelte. Temporal's docs need a lot more work to fully explain such a complex system with many use cases. Temporal still doesn't have a production-ready Node.js or Python SDK. And there's much, much more work to do before Temporal's developer experience becomes accessible to the majority of developers. If what I've laid out excites you, take a look at our open positions or write your own and join the mailing list and that's basically the end of the essay i end with further reading these are all personally curated by me if you want to learn up more about orchestration event sourcing code over config or temporal itself uh, some of my coworkers have written some really good blog posts uh, about uh, different aspects of the problem that we're tackling I'd say i definitely focus on a more conceptual understanding. Uh, I haven't really talked about what it is. I've just tried to talk about the opinions, uh, basically from the point of view of if you share these requirements, then eventually you're going to make something like Temporal, so you might as well check us out. Uh, and then we'll talk about how it works. Then we'll talk about you know the how to get started, all that stuff. But I need to basically pitch what the goal is. And the myopic short-term goal is reliable service orchestration, but the longer term goal, which I really, really am keen about, is to reinvent asynchronous programming. So that's it. I hope that you enjoyed this read-through of the, the essay, and let me know your feedback. Have a great weekend.